We are the Love Jays, and you're listening to Married Millennials. A conversation about being young, in love, and navigating life one student loan payment at a time. I'm Joy. I'm Justin. Let's get to it. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 32 of Married Millennials. It has been one week since the election. President-elect Donald Trump. Can we just let that soak in for a little bit? Like you guys have had a week to let it soak in, but I just wanted to soak in even deeper while you're listening to this. Admittedly, I haven't been doing much soaking. President-elect Donald Trump. Yeah. Like if you just ever want to make yourself mad, just repeat that 10 times. You can be in the best of moods possible. It sounds like a fictional story. Like it's not something that's, it doesn't sound like real life. And that's the, and that's the sad thing is yeah. that this was, this was a fiction story. Yeah. This was a fiction story that came to be a nonfiction story. I wasn't shocked though. I, I wouldn't say like, oh, I'm shocked by this. I knew it was a possibility. I didn't discount the man. I, I knew he had some support out there, but I just did not want it to happen. I'm going to be honest. I'm shocked. I didn't think it was possible for someone to run this divisive of a campaign and be elected as the president of the United States. I'm not shocked by the the basis in which he ran on and knowing that those feelings are very deep and people believe him. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I, I had a sense of hope. And I guess this is just naive of me and foolish, but I, but I had a hope mm-hmm. that our country, that our fellow Americans would not look past all of the hate and violence that he promoted throughout his campaign. And I just had some sort of hope that, you know, yes, even though you could not stand Hillary Clinton at all, and I get it, there's faults on, on both sides. I'm not going to argue that. But I, I just had some hope that, yes, you know what, no, I don't like Hillary Clinton but I just can't look past everything he said. And for that, I'm going to vote for a third party. Something. I, I just, I, that was my hope. And like I said, it was just naive of me to believe it. Well, third party votes weren't going to help either. No, I'm not, I'm not saying but that, it's like, that they it, were going to It is hope. discouraging that so many people voted for Trump. And, and it's not even the people who voted for Donald Trump. You know, really... And, and I will get back to this, but really upset me is once the polls closed and the reports and the numbers started coming out, it was reported that about 47% of eligible voters did not even participate in this year's election. Right. We had an individual, again, who arguably ran the most divisive campaign in the history of our presidency. And 47% of the people said, hmm, I'm okay with whoever takes the office and that's literally what you're saying by actively choosing not to participate you are actively saying that you are okay with whomever filled the position of the presidency i think election day started out pretty strong I, we did all of our research voted on all the props we even had a back and forth on like you know what'd you do for this problem what'd you do for that prop uh i, I don't know i felt the whole the whole process this time was encouraging i felt like my voice was going to be heard and i don't know i just felt like this was the first time i voted as a fully conscious adult and even at the polls i mean we live in los angeles so everyone's pretty liberal here 
it, there was that spirit there like, oh, it's going to be Hillary. But even through all that, I, I found myself holding my breath the entire day because I was thinking, I don't know which way this is going to turn. I didn't allow myself to think of a scenario in which Trump won because it's a nightmare scenario. You couldn't believe it. Yeah, so it's kind of like, okay, like I voted for Hillary. I did all I can do. I asked everyone to vote. I, you know, I did my due diligence as a, an American citizen and I and I had to hope for the best. And that's, you know, unfortunately not what happened. I remember when you and I were, were sitting watching the election results come in and Joy and I were sitting there and we're just watching and the numbers start coming in. And I'm like, babe, I'm a little nervous. It was probably about about seven o'clock our time, Pacific Standard Time. I was like, man, I'm getting I'm getting a little nervous. I just, you know, you just start sweating for no reason. Well, those projections were running in, and they were overwhelmingly and, Trump. Yeah, and well, and I I wasn't oh, in the beginning. You know, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. These traditional red states. I was like, okay, you know, here we go. And I remember Joy was like, baby, everything is Trump. And I was like, well, hell, these are, you know, tra- the states have been red for the last. You know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I wasn't particularly moving in that direction. But as these key states, as the Rust Belt states coming down, the, the Florida race, the I Virginia Florida race. Florida was everybody was like, wait I was just like, wait, hold on. Like, is, I said, is this really going to happen? And the night kept going and the night kept going. And then it's 9 and 10 o'clock. And now I'm in a group text with my, with my brother, my sister, and my parents. And we're saying, is this, is this really going to happen? Like, is, is this actually going to happen? And what went from being a joke? I mean, this was a joke. And I think that's really the fault of me and a lot of Democrats and and liberals as well is thinking that the joke was going to end, that someone was going to come behind the curtain and say, ha ha, this is all over. And when you think something's a joke, you don't really take it seriously. Right. And I think for too long, the left didn't take this seriously. They just said, ha it's going to be a joke. You know, we we don't have to do everything because the joke's going to die out and this will never happen. And it happened. And I, and I remember we looked. It was about midnight. And I text, the, text my, my parents and my brother and my sister. And I said, this is, like, it's, it's over. <laughs> like, Donald Trump is really about to be the 45th president of the United States of America. Yeah, you came in the bedroom saying that. So my experience of the evening, I came home, turned on a movie, and had the election results on the laptop on mute. Because like I said, it, it was already coming in Trump, 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 Trump. And my anxiety was just <laughs> off the charts. I said, I'm going to watch this movie, get my mind off of it. Justin came home. He's like, what are you doing? We got to watch this. We got to be into it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we're watching, watching, watching. Once I pretty much knew, okay, Trump's going to win this, I retired to the bedroom, started watching the movie in there. Then Justin came in talking about it's going to be President Trump. I was not ready to hear. I think I shut you down. Yeah, I was like, let's clarify, because I don't even like the way you said that. I didn't come in in any celebratory fashion No, at you all. were not. It wasn't celebration, but you were just stating what had happened. But I just so desperately did not want to accept that reality. I knew that it was something that could happen. And I remember months ago, Obama gave a speech, and he said, Donald Trump will not be our president. And I remember thinking, why would you say that? Because the biggest motivator for anybody is doubt. If somebody looks you in the face and be like, you will never be, you decide like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. And he is the exact kind of person 
you don't want to provoke in that way. And it goes back to my earlier point: is people thought this was a joke. It's we, not a game. Everyone on the on the Democratic side was not was everyone. Very, no, I won't say everyone, but there was a large majority of Democrats who just didn't believe this was going to happen. But I also had a really hard time believing that there was going to be a woman in the White House too. I I didn't just blindly believe. Oh, everyone's going to vote for this woman because she's better than the other option. I didn't have all that faith either. I wanted to, but I didn't really feel that way. <laughs> I felt that way for me. I felt that way for me, but, you know, it's a big country out there. And it's a damn shame that America is not ready to see a woman president. As a man, I didn't realize how deep the misogyny ran in this country. And for me, it was it was just an this has just been an all-around eye-opening week. I I am aware of what's going on. I, I stay in tune to what's happening. You know, I, I have difficult conversations with friends. And, and I guess this is just, again, me just being naive, is that I had a hope and a feeling that like, you, you have to be able to think. At some point, I, I just believe that there were some good-thinking folks out there who would be able to make what seemed to be on the surface a very rational decision like <laughs> I, I just, right. I still can't even find the words to really describe it because it, I, I don't under, my, my, my brain is, it's literally unable to process what's happened. I remember sitting there and listening to Van Jones talk, one of the political commentators of CNN, hats off to you, Van, mm -hmm. for keeping your composure the way you did. I, I couldn't imagine being able, you know, I couldn't imagine being on that platform and sitting here and expressing the views that a lot of disenfranchised communities and minorities were feeling in that moment. Mm -hmm. And for you to be on stage and communicate on a national platform with such poise yes. and such dignity mm -hmm. with individuals who you staunchly disagreed with mm -hmm. in a moment of, of really crisis yeah. was, was thoroughly impressive. And, yeah. and, I was, and I was just sitting there like, man, this, like, I, I, just, I can't believe this. What I appreciate about that moment is that there was someone out there who was able to be a representative for all the marginalized groups out there. Somebody who was able to so gracefully state the pain that we were all feeling like that meant so much in that moment. I, if, if he hadn't been there to say that, I don't I think it would. I would have taken it just a little bit harder, but I feel like, okay, someone said it. Someone said the thing that needed to be said on this night in lieu of this revelation of our, our new president elect. Someone, someone said it. it, it needed to be said. And I'm, I'm grateful for that moment. Cause when I look back on that night, I actually, I think that's, kind of all I really do the only thing I focus on is that okay I'm in pain but clearly other people are too and and someone on a public platform was able to express it so that people know hey no this is not okay this is not okay we don't need to celebrate for you like you know I don't need to be happy for Trump supporters because this does not mean something good for me <laughs> it's not and that's why I didn't go to work the next day. I, yeah. I genuinely, I called out black. 
the day after the election. And the reason why I didn't go is because simply I, I wasn't ready to have conversations with people mm-hmm. for people to be able to celebrate someone who promoted misogyny, xenophobia, racism, sexism. His running mate is as homophobic as you're going to find. Mm-hmm. I couldn't w- just grab myself up, walk into a room and be like, oh, yeah, let's sit here and have a conversation and, and pretend like everything is fine. Nope. I couldn't do it. Nope. And it's funny because people always ask marginalized groups to oh, reach your hand across, dust yourself off, get up and go. You know, sometimes you just need a moment. You need to collect your thoughts and, and be pissed off for a day, mm-hmm. to be angry, to realize what really just happened. This is 2016. Mm-hmm. And we have someone who can say all of these things and people will still vote for him. So all of the comments that we've made about living in a post-racial society, I've said it before and I'll say it again, flush that bullshit argument down the toilet. It does not exist. Because if you can have a candidate who is endorsed by the KKK or the KKK is having a parade and celebration in North Carolina celebrating this man's victory, what kind of post-racial society is that? When people don't even, don't even have to think in, in good conscience, who can flush their morals, who can flush their values all down the drain. We can look left and and look right, and and everything we've been taught since we were young is do right by your fellow man. And this individual did wrong by just about every group of individuals walking this country. Mm -hmm. And people still went to the polls and voted for them. And then you want those groups who were oppressed, who were targeted, to then go up the next day to talk and pretend like everything's fine and when, and when we don't quickly hurry and feel better, you want to complain some more and say, get over it? Yeah, like we're raining on your parade. Get by, over it? By not celebrating. Get over it? That's your answer? Get over it? The privilege it must be to be able to say those words. I did go to work the next day, and I wore all black. I hardly talked to anyone. And I think... Thank God my office is mostly liberal. So, uh, you know, we were all kind of on the same page. It was a very somber day, but I did. I needed a day of mourning. And I I wrote a Facebook post just to say, like, hey, marginalized groups, we are unfortunately accustomed to adversity. So, yes, we need to mourn for a day, but then tomorrow we do. We got to start fighting again. Like We don't get a break. That's just... There is no rest for the weary. That's the truth of it. It's an unfair reality, but it, it is our reality, and we do. We have to push on. We have to fight in that most healthy way possible. What I did have an issue with were all the Facebook posts from uh, – there were Hillary supporters and Trump supporters alike that were like, we need to come together in love and support right now. Stop dogging on people who voted for Trump. It doesn't matter anymore. He won. Let's just move forward. Nope. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. You don't get to tell oppressed people how to feel. You don't get to tell them to accept their new reality and let's just all sing kumbaya. And and not only are you telling them this, you're 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 not telling them this to help them. You're telling them this because you don't like the way your timeline looks. Mm, mm. How dare you? How dare you? And not only their timeline, they don't like that feeling. Ooh, I don't like this sticky feeling. 
right. Ooh, I'm uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable? Yeah. Welcome to the day in the life of every minority in this country. Right. You're uncomfortable, but we're dying. <laughs> that is the cost that we are paying for the hate that your candidate promotes. Death. Marginalized groups are dying. We're paying with our lives. So bump your timeline. I don't, I just, I have no sympathy for you. And it goes back to the hashtag that also started circulating was not all white people. I also had a problem with that because just similar to how we had a conversation about male, male privilege, there's, there is white privilege. And for you to defend yourself and be like, not all white people, we don't have a problem with white people. No one in the oppressed group has a problem with all white people. That's not what we're saying. We have a problem with white supremacy. The institution of. The institution of white supremacy. And if you are a white person, you are afforded privilege. It is your birthright. You are, you are born with a privilege. So your responsibility as a white person is to help those who did not receive those privileges as a birthright. And what happens is you have the privilege and you don't do anything about it. You may use privilege to your advantage, but you also don't try to help those who are in a disadvantaged position. And when you do that, when you acknowledge, okay, well, I have privilege, but I, and I'm not against you, but I'm not necessarily going to help you either. It puts you on the side of white supremacy by default. And I know that that's uncomfortable. You might be saying, well, I'm not, I'm not for white supremacy. But if you're not for helping these marginalized groups, then I hate to break it to you. You kind of are. You are part of the problem. I, and I, you know, it's an uncomfortable reality to deal with, but you're not here just to be and to accumulate wealth and just live the American dream. You're here to help too. You are part of the human race. Help. But if you're going to help, help for real, not just on Facebook or Twitter, get involved. Ask minority groups what they need. Ask the LGBT community what they really need. Ask black people. Ask the Black Lives Matter movement what they really need. Or, or if you don't understand something, if you're feeling uncomfortable about something, Ask, sit down and have the uncomfortable conversations because literally you are in the most privileged position. No one can hurt you. No one's going to say anything that's going to oppress you. You're fine. Have the uncomfortable conversations. Find out what the issues are and lend a hand and help. You don't even have to go that far. You don't need to ask these oppressed groups what you can do to help. What you need to do is talk to your fellow man and sit here and address uncomfortable conversations right. amongst each other. Right, within You don't, within even, you don't even have to go outside of That's your fair. group. Right. When, these com when comments come up, be able to challenge their thinking. Be able to say, hey, you know, I really don't, I don't really vibe with that, or why do you say that? Be able to go down to the core. Right. We need other people to sit here and have the uncomfortable conversations. As a black man, as a black woman, our reality is being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. We've learned how to live in, in discomfort. Mm -hmm. It's a natural disposition for us. Mm -hmm. And some of you guys are like, oh, shit, really? Like what? Yes. Hello, newsflash. <laughs> That's what it is. We're not making excuses for it. I'm not asking for your sympathy. I'm just no. telling you a reality that is. Yeah. We know what, what the uncomfortable feels like. We have to live with it. As soon as you are born on this earth, you have to deal with it. Just like some are afforded a privilege, we're not afforded a privilege. Yeah. 
We're affording and, and, the burden and, and, of being and, different. And we're willing to go in those uncomfortable places and have these uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. We need you to have those uncomfortable conversations too. So don't say after you know, 24 hours after the election to get over it. Right. Not when, when just two weeks ago, we're saying nothing but divisive language. Mm-hmm. We can't just say, let it go. It just doesn't happen that easy because your feelings are, are, are right there on your shoulders and it's uncomfortable. Right. Welcome. This and, is what happens. And I want to say, too, the result of having uncomfortable conversations is it, they don't feel it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good during the conversation. And often you do not feel good after it actually kind of leaves an icky feeling. <laughs> And that's okay, too. You don't need to feel triumphant and, you know, sit in the uncomfortable. Be willing to go there. And I promise you that you will experience growth from it. And again, growth is uncomfortable. Growth hurts, but it's worth it in the end. I just remember when I went back to work on Thursday, I was talking to one of my colleagues and he was giving his opinion on what he thought of of the Trump presidency. And he said, hey, it could it could be a good thing, something different, someone who's not a politician, you know, someone who would like to come in there and, and shake things up. And, and he had made the comment, and, it was, and he said, I just couldn't see Hillary in the office, and there we go raising taxes. And I stopped him, and I said, it must be nice to be able to only think about your money. I said, as a black man, I'm not afforded that privilege. Yes, I want, I want my pockets taken care of just like everybody else. Whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, you want your pockets taken care of. That's, of how, we, that's how we live. That's how we survive. That's how we right. can take care of our family and friends. So, of course, we want our, our, our pockets taken care of. But I said, as a black man, I don't have the luxury to just worry about my pockets because right. I have been exposed and I have seen things and I've lived through, through different experiences that forces me to consider the feelings and thoughts of other people who do not look like me. Right. I don't have the option to just ignore everything else because I'm not affected by it. And that's what I've seen the most is because I'm not a member of the LGBT community, because I'm not a minority, because I'm not a woman. I can just ignore everything that was being said and I can still go to the polls and vote for Trump. Right. And I think that is are- what that is the ultimate privilege. Mm-hmm. And we and, and there's a lot of people who just can't do that. So, to, again, to just sit there and say, like, oh, let's join hands and, and sing at the table. It's like, no, don't write off these feelings. Mm-hmm. Accept, understand them, digest them, and work through them to hope you make a better, more educated decision moving forward. Right. I think another issue was that people felt that Trump doesn't necessarily feel this way. Like, maybe he's not really a misogynist. Maybe he's not really racist. Maybe he's not really homophobic. None of that matters. What we have an issue with is that he encourages it. He may not direct. Supports it. He supports it. And that's the thing is if, you know, at his rallies, if people get riled up about these things, he doesn't take the position of, hey, everybody, that's not right. We're not going to operate like that, but we're still going to get this money. That's not, you know, he encourages the hate. And then he's like, and we're going to get money. You can't tie money to hate and expect hate of specific groups and expect that the groups that are being hated on are going to be in support of that. Just look what happened around the country in the first week. The amount of pictures, the articles written of swastikas being mm-hmm. drawn on buildings saying make make America white again. Mm-hmm. Black children being called the N-word. Mm-hmm. Muslim and women men fearing for their lives. Mm-hmm. Immigrants 
fearing the reality that they may be separated from their family. I mean, you've seen the pictures, what kids are saying at schools, what adults are saying at universities. Mm -hmm. This has happened in the first week. The LGBT community, the disabled community, everyone (laughs) is scared. Everyone, uh, 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 the vast majority of people have been affected by this. You have protests in New York that are reported to having 100,000 people. You just had a protest in L.A. of 8,000 people. These are massive demonstrations mm-hmm. of people saying, we are not okay with this. Mm-hmm. So you, you, we can't just say, get over it. Yeah. We have to be loud. We have to have the conversation. We have to talk about it. We have to say, really, what is going on? You have to challenge your position. It's obligatory. It's mandatory. So I think the question that a lot of us are asking is, what do we do now? Dave Chappelle was on Saturday Night Live this past Saturday, and he had some (laughs) words of wisdom, if you will. And in regards to Trump, he said, I'm going to give him a chance, and we demand that he do the same for us. And I thought that was kind of all you can say. It's like, you know... He's our president, and on some level, if there is nothing we can do to overturn that, we we are going to have to deal with that. And so we are asking. No, we're not asking. It was a demand. Yes, we are demanding that he do the same for us, that he take back the evil that he has spewed, reel it in, and make things better for us. Like, yes, improve people's pockets, but also improve the social climate as well. At the very least, repair the damage that you have done. For me, when I heard Dave Chappelle say that line, it, I took it a, a step further. Because for me, it was that minority groups, in particular black people, we are still asking and demanding for people to give us a chance. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of years, we have been oppressed for centuries and we are still asking, give us a chance. Yeah. And now he changed his, his, his ass from asking to demanding. Mm-hmm. Centuries later, we are still demanding essentially equality. That's what we're asking for, equality. Mm-hmm. To be looked at as the same. To be put on the same playing field. To be given the same opportunities. To be afforded the same opportunities. And in 2016, we're still demanding or asking these things and that just for me is what i cannot stomach it's very I can't difficult swallow to it. remain calm I, I, yeah I, I i can't be calm there's so much anger i i and i feel it i mean i try not to be of course you know because you don't want to be this angry person walking around all the time but it is it's it's infuriating you, you're sitting here trying the best you can and the thing that's holding you back is your color it's insane I'm brown, so I i mean, I can't get down because I'm brown. That's, come on. We've it, got to be better than this. It's, it, uh, it's just so frustrating because you mm-hmm. see it all the time. You just constantly see it. Well, we have to support them. We have to support them. And it's like, yeah, you, you do. Don't you, you don't have to. to but, I mean, you have to accept the reality that this is going to be the next president of the United States. Right. But oftentimes you just see it just throughout history. Marginalized groups are always being asked to reach across the line, mm-hmm. always, for crying out loud, Barack Obama had to sit and meet with Donald Trump, a man who has repeatedly said that he was not a U.S. citizen, who also said was the head of ISIS. I have to sit with you, I being Barack Obama, have to sit with you, Donald Trump, and work on transitioning you into the White House? 
Can you imagine that? Imagine that being you. Imagine someone who has dragged you through the mud for years. And now I have to sit with you who has said countless of hateful things. Now I have to sit with you and smile and then look at reporters and say and then address the country and say, hey, we had a really good meeting. We... Like that—that's what minorities are con- constantly asked to do. Right. And I—I just—I—I I can't get down with it. I can't stomach it. I can't be calm. I can't relax because this is a repeated pattern in history. At some point, the people on the other side have to reach across the same way and even further than though than minorities or disenfranchised groups are being asked to reach across that same line. Mm-hmm. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's mu- it, You must. I demand it. We demand it. We're still very much digesting this. We're trying to figure out how to push through. We're trying to figure out how to rise above so that we can be productive in making the world uh, a better place for those that it hasn't been a better place for. (laughs) The one good thing I will say about this campaign, about this entire presidential election, is that it has started a lot of conversations. And I hope that these conversations continue. I really, truly pray and hope that these conversations continue, not dismiss them and say, well, hey, the election, the campaigns are over and and he's been elected, so we're just going to go on about our days. I really hope that these conversations keep happening because we can't mute the stories. No. We can't sweep feelings under the rug. We can't pretend that hate, misogyny, xenophobia, sexism, homophobia does not exist. We cannot for one second allow those conversations to be quiet. So I encourage you, I don't care who you voted for. If you voted for Clinton, if you voted for Trump, I encourage you to keep pushing forward with these conversations. Listen to the other side. Be able to sit and and have really good conversations. And I'm talking to myself too. Because it is hard for me right now to go sit in someone who voted for Donald Trump and for me to look at you with any level of respect. It's tough. I'm going to be honest. It really is tough because I couldn't overlook what he ran his campaign on. But me and all of us, we must be able to sit down and listen and be able to talk and really understand the sides of each other. We have to. And if we and if we don't and if we refuse, we will be in a similar position that we are today. There is no reason at all that in 2016, this much hate, this much violence is at the forefront of our country. We're genuinely in country divided. And hopefully through all these conversations that we can be a little more like the United States next time around. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Married Millennials. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and share it with your friends. And as always, please let's keep the conversation going online. Connect with us on social media. You can visit our website, lovejays.com, and you will see all of our social media icons right there at the top of the page. See you next Tuesday.